Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. My name is Carl Truman. I'm professor at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, and I'm here with my usual co-hosts, Todd Pruitt, conspiracy theorist and PCA <laughs> pastor from Virginia, and Amy Bird, uh, the subject of numerous conspiracy theories, <laughs> and the housewife theologian from, uh, is it Maryland you now live in? Or Maryland. West? Ma- Maryland, mm-hmm. from Maryland. And I'm trying to think about how the podcast could move into the future. We've been looking at some other projects that have been going on, and we've noticed that uh, Jen Wilkin now does this podcast i think it's called something like drinking coffee with theologians driving they, in cars sorry driving in cars with theologians where the <laughs> shtick is they actually drive around while doing their podcasts and um well, a number of people have asked us if we're going to do that well the answer is no for a very good reason um i drive a two-seater i drive a two-seater master so we couldn't all fit into my car Todd Pruitt's car stinks of stale tobacco smoke and there's no way i'm spending any time in that uh, and if uh if Amy Bird is driving, <laughs> frankly, I'd be too terrified to, to make any... I think it would be an adventure. It would definitely be an adventure. Yeah. Let me My, just say that many women are excellent drivers. Yes, but she is not <laughs> I want to be them. on record yeah. as saying as that. As usual, I'm yeah. an exception. She is an exception. I remember one of the first times Amy recorded, she turns up for the podcast really smartly dressed. And uh, we said to her, there's no need to dress smartly for the podcast. And she said, oh, I've just been in court <laughs> relative to some speeding fine <laughs> okay it was yeah. a it was a, a road rage uh, incident uh, yeah. amy yeah. amy assaulted yeah. uh, another driver yeah. it was ugly well, you, you may have seen it on dateline nbc uh, on friday it wasn't it was good bad. for my reputation because i think the second time we got together i had to shoot through a toll because they didn't <laughs> yeah i'm always having they to said shoot if you have through exact tolls. change go in this one it was only a dollar like i was getting right off of a such highway. an a, obscure well, amount to have the exact change so i go in dollar. there and the change had to actually be change it had to be yeah. quarters like i have a dollar and mm-hmm. so i'm like yelling over to lane over like to the <laughs> yeah. guy i'm like hey i got a dollar and he's like you're gonna have to shoot through we're gonna have to mail you something yeah. like what a summons probably <laughs> yeah i felt terrible <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, all of this brings us all to of this the brings us to the, the subject today of yes, anxiety. anxiety. <laughs> we live in an age. I was just, in fact, remarking on this to the students yesterday. I was teaching, doing a class on the Gospel of John, and talking about uh, Jesus' statement, "I am the bread of life." And I made the point that Jesus is pointing there to the fact that that human beings have deeper needs than the mere material. And I observed that we live in an age, certainly in the West, where I personally enjoy much greater material comforts than certainly my grandparents and even my parents had uh, 50, 60 years ago. And yet we also live in an age that is peculiarly marked by anxiety. The college I teach at, a significant proportion of students will probably go to the counseling service mm-hmm. while, they're, while they're students here. And, and that's not because Grove City College is an exception. In fact, Grove City College is is relatively typical on that front. There are huge levels of anxiety within our society. And that's why we've asked a guest to join us today who's just written a book on anxiety and how Christians should should handle it. 
what strategies, what thoughts, what ideas, what foundations do Christians need to understand in order to handle what is a, a problem that clearly doesn't just affect non-Christians, but is a deep problem within the church as well. Uh, he's been on before. His name is Pierce Taylor Hibbs. He works for the uh, uh, Writing Center at my old employer, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And it's a great pleasure to have you with us, Pierce. Thanks for having me back. Well, thanks. Your book, uh, Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully with Anxiety. Could you give us some of the background to this? You know, as I read the book, it struck me that this is uh, a cry from the heart. It's a very personal book in many ways for you. Yes, um, it's definitely probably the most vulnerable I I felt uh, on the page. This goes back uh, for, for people who don't know me. I've had a anxiety disorder that I was diagnosed with about 12 years ago. So this is something that I have uh, lived with for over a decade. Um, I've always thought about writing something, but never felt like I was quite prepared to offer any sort of direction or instruction to other people when I was struggling uh, so intensely with it. And um, I think over the years I've come to realize that that the fact that I'm struggling so intensely with it might mean that I'm in a better position to offer some encouragement um, to readers. So mm. uh, my, my whole, I think, uh, approach to the book was very different from most of the popular level anxiety books that you'll find, you know, on a Amazon search. Most people talk about anxiety as something that you have to conquer or defeat. In fact, I think there was just recently a, a book that came out from uh, Max Licato about um, kind of defeating your anxiety in a eight week course or something wow, with, it, with this new book. <laughs> so it's very popular, not just in Christian circles, but also in, in non-Christian ones to mm-hmm. talk about anxiety as something that you have to get past. And as I was thinking about those things and, and reading a lot of these resources, I thought, what's next? And what I mean by that is if I, if I conquered the anxiety what's next? You know, am I, is my end goal to live a life that's, um, that's free of all difficulty? Um, that seemed like that was the, the kind of a destination that a lot of people were driving towards. How can I eliminate any kind of discomfort, pain, suffering, and just um, be more comfortable? And that's a very attractive thing. So I think it's very popular. Um, but I found myself, um, as I was reading through scripture, thinking, you know, God has a, a purpose for everything that happens to me and to everyone else. And what if the purpose is something much greater than just conquering or getting past this? Um, what if I'm supposed to be learning something through it? Um, and, and certainly I have, have felt like I've learned probably more more from my anxiety issues than, than I have from anything else in terms of my spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I like how you say that anxiety is a spiritual tool in the hands of a mighty God yeah. that he uses to shape your soul. Yes, and I think it's the hard part about that is even if you get on board with it, um, it's still not always an enjoyable thing. You know, no one wants to feel right. anxious and, and say, oh yeah, I, you know, I can't wait for God to work through my anxiety today. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, yeah. just not a, a common approach that we have. Right. But, you know, a, a lot of this, I think underneath the, the, the book is kind of the, the driving purpose for your existence. So it's a very kind of existential thing. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? Mm. If your goal is to be shaped 
you know, to the person of Christ, how is that happening? Um, and I feel like uh, my, including myself, there are a lot of Christians that might not have a ready answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, anxiety is a, you know, in my own life has been a clear indicator of um, leading me to feel weak, leading me to dependence on, on Christ through prayer um, and scripture reading, um, leading me to be more dependent on the body of Christ, mm-hmm. you know, to rely on, yeah. on the prayers and encouragements of others. Um, and I thought, well, at least with anxiety, I can tell pretty quickly, oh yeah, this is, this is shaping me to Christ. Um, whereas if I didn't have that, it, I, I think I would kind of be hard to figure out um, an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, thank you for the project for, for the book. I think it's going to be very helpful to a lot of folks. I, you know, there's anxiety and then there's anxiety. It, this is not a one size fits all thing. And mm-hmm. I think oftentimes Christians have not been served well by some of the preaching and instruction regarding anxiety, because again, oftentimes it is seen uh, strictly as a, as a sin issue. So, you know, we're instructed in scripture, don't be anxious. And oftentimes that's kind of the sum total of the instruction that a lot of Christians are given. Just Mm. one passage from scripture dealing with what I would say is one species of anxiety. And certainly when our anxiety is tied to sin or tied to a lack of faith in, and and I think every Christian knows what that is like to not Mm -hmm. trust the Lord as we ought to. We need to hear that call to say, don't, you know, don't be anxious. Don't live without faith and and trust in the Lord. And the Bible itself presents, though, a more complex um, understanding of anxiety than simply that Mm. anxiety that is directly the result of a lack of faith. Uh, Paul himself Mm -hmm. knew what anxiety was. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about his own sufferings as an apostle. And he talks about the, the physical tortures he'd gone through. But then at the end of that list, he says, and, you know, on top of it all, um, I've experienced the anxiety of caring for all of the churches. Mm. And, and you know, I think we can conclude from that at least that there is a kind of anxiety that is brought on an emotional burden, which I think can sometimes have physical manifestations that are the result of a noble uh, or, or a commitment to a noble cause, like caring for mm. the churches. And mm-hmm. I don't think when Paul said, plus, you know, the anxiety of caring for all the churches, I don't think he's confessing a sin there. I, I think he's revealing uh, the costliness uh, to care about things that deeply that we ought to care about. Your thoughts yeah, that's a great on that? Point. I think uh, you know the uh, probably the most common text that people go to is Matthew six, right? Um, you know, for for Jesus telling people not to be anxious. And um, when I was first starting to deal with with anxiety. Um, it was not too long after my father's death. My father passed away when he was only 47 mm. um, from cancer. Um, so I was grappling with that and, uh, and then started having these massive panic attacks and was you know, hospitalized twice and just felt like my body was completely broken. Like mm. I thought, you know, I'm a rational person. I can't find any reason for, you know, why I'm anxious. And people kept asking me, why are you anxious? Why do you feel anxious? And I would say, I, I don't know. I don't have anything to be yeah. makes you uh, more anxious, anxious about. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, and which makes you more anxious because you can't figure out, you know, what's, what the cause is. But early in that process, I remember having, you know, a bit of a faith crisis of thinking, you know, here I am professing to be a Christian 
and, and trying to grow deeper in my faith. And I can't do things that most other people can do with, you know, without a second thought. Right. Um, and I felt like, you know, is this a really a lack of faith yeah. on, on my part? And the guilt that comes with that is really unbearable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's compounded, sadly, I think, by people in the church who, who maybe mean well. Yeah. Um, you know, they want to encourage other people not to be anxious. But when you um, accuse someone of, of lacking faith and that being the cause of your anxiety, you know, it, it really just adds guilt to the anxiety. Right. Um, and my, I know that my, you know, a- after I, my, my mother has dealt with these issues for, for quite some time. And after many years, she said, um, that was the first approach that, that your father even had um, when I first started dealing with anxiety. And you know, he thought that this was a faith issue. Yeah. And um, so, you know, knowing that, that that's in the background, I think, um, there's a big call for the church to be sensitive to people that are dealing with this just because it's, it is multifaceted. Um, it's physiological, not just spiritual or psychological. So I think it's a complicated problem. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of folks, Um, I mean, it's rooted in, uh, trauma, um, mm -hmm. experiences that when I was a, when I was a youth minister, I remember we, our church had a ministry to a, um, a children's home, uh, that was uh, very near our church. And we, we would bring, um, all of the, the teenagers there who were interested to, to come to all of our, our youth group activities every week, et cetera. And two of the boys, uh, they were, they were in the youngest group of, of, of the youth, first grade of, of junior high. They were highly anxious. They were brothers. And um, mm-hmm. as I met with the director of the, of the children's home, he just informed us that um, they'd been taken out of a home where there was actual criminal neglect. Um, they weren't fed. And mm. so what, what happened with these boys, and they found this at the children's home, is that they would, at mealtimes, they would take some of the food off of their plate, put it in pockets, and then take it back to their room and hide food in their room because they had learned from the youngest age that if you didn't hide food away, you might because you'd need to do that because you might go a couple of days without eating. Mm. And, and, you know, it never occurred to me to tell those boys that they were sinning. Yeah, uh, by yeah. by being anxious because this was clearly the fruit of sin committed against them mm. and, and the trauma that, that was there. Yeah. And so, as you said, yeah. it's multifaceted. There's all kinds of reasons for anxiety. Yeah. And it was actually one of one of the um, people that provided an endorsement is that um, for the book is the head of, of counseling, the counseling department at Cairn, um, mm. Jeff Black, um, who's incidentally my godfather. He he and my dad were were very good friends. So as I was talking with him about all this, he said, "You know, I'm guessing that you, that you probably had a kind of post traumatic stress reaction to your dad's mm-hmm. death, and that has rolled into a full blown you know anxiety disorder." Mm-hmm. And I and that, and that was years after I had been dealing with it, and yeah. I had never heard of that from you know a counselor. And I thought, oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, um, but, but I, you know, yesterday I was talking to someone about how the Matthew six approach of you know don't be anxious, and and I've heard Ed Welch deal with this passage in, in a, I think a more helpful way where it's kind of Jesus acting more as a a comforter and consoler, saying right. it's okay, you don't have to be anxious. Exactly. Um, whereas some people kind of take it as um, imperatives, and it, it has the equivalent effect of sitting down with someone who has, you know, clinical depression and saying, stop it, just stop, Mm -hmm. stop feeling sad. 
Um, and it's out of their control. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there are things that are broken, you know, in their body and, yeah. um, and are those tied to spiritual issues? Certainly. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, they're all tied to spiritual issues in some way, but the solution is probably not going to be as simple as just saying, um, you need to have more faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Well, and I'm, there can be such a physiological element to it and even a hereditary one. And, and you've kind of hinted at that with your own. Cause mm-hmm. I know like my husband has suffered with anxiety disorder and I always tied it back to, um, his dad leaving, you know, as, as a traumatic event that, you know, being the oldest and kind of the man of the house falling on him at 10 years old. Uh, Um, That will imprint you. Oh yeah. But then, but then our oldest suffers from anxiety disorder and she's had a very good life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No no trauma. So, you know, it kind of made me question again, well, you know, part of this is hereditary and physiological and there can be triggers of course, but and mm-hmm. I, that's what I really appreciate. I really appreciate in your book how you just cover such a holistic approach to this and how you really format it um, at different angles, how each chapter you address the overlap of scripture and theology. And so, you know, showing how anxiety really directs you to ask questions about who God is. You know, and yeah. I thought maybe you could um, you could talk a little bit about this acronym that you you help teach um, which is pretty helpful when you're going through something as severe as, you know, a panic attack. Um, you use the yeah. acronym CHRIST to ask some questions. Yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, I'll say uh, first, I think that blending that triad together of, of scripture, theology, and experience has probably taken all 12 years of my experience because I went to seminary and did an MAR and, and a THM degree and you learn theology, but everyone knows that um, learning propositions uh, doesn't mean that you have really soaked in uh, the teaching. Um, so you study scripture and you learn theology and it takes time for that to actually work into your experiences. Mm-hmm. So I think that those, um, I hope that those are helpful for readers in the sense that um, pointing them to the way that theology actually has very practical implications. Um, but we have to make an effort to, to bring those things together. Um, when I think it's easy to compartmentalize. Um, so the Christ acronym that I came up with is, is something that I've had to use dozens of times um, within panic situations. I thought it was an, an easier thing to remember. Mm-hmm. And um, the C for the acronym is consider the feelings. Um, and what I mean by that is we have we have to have a context when we interpret anything, mm-hmm. just like when we interpret scripture. So we, we know that when we're reading the Bible, but then when we have life experiences, I think we forget it. But you do have a context for interpreting what happens to you. And many people, I think, are not looking at the spiritual context for those really um, horrible, anxious feelings. You know, the rapid heart rate, the difficulty breathing uh, and swallowing and you know there's a whole host of symptoms that comes with it and many times i think it's easy to treat those as purely physical and Mm -hmm. the response is get me some kind of medication that will make this go away Mm -hmm. when the context you know spiritually is you know kind of a romans 8 28 you know god is using every single thing in your life for your good so even these horrible feelings that you're experiencing right now are kind of like a spiritual medicine 
Um, that's that's the way I think of it. You know, it's kind of like that cough syrup that you had when you're a kid. That's you know, it probably tastes better now, but when I was a kid, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It tasted horrible. But you, <laughs> so you hated the cough medicine, but you took it because you knew it was going to lead to, you know, the the cough stopping. And that's kind of the way that these feelings are. They uh, spiritually they're they're bitter, you know, to to handle and to swallow. But what are they leading you to? Um, and my own experience has been that they lead me to focus on what my real priorities should be, you know, my personal, you know, relationship and communion with Christ, um, my ability to kind of reflect Christ to others and my very, very simple interactions. So I feel like having a lot of anxiety will have a huge impact on how I speak with someone Hmm. um, because I'm much, I'm much more sympathetic. I'm much more uh, vulnerable and, and fragile even. Whereas when I'm comfortable, I'm probably a little bit more calloused and uh, less observant, yeah. mm. you know? So I feel like that's been helpful for me because you have to take something that you hate and attach something positive to it. And, and, and that's what I've done with the, the feelings. So if mm-hmm. you consider the feelings um, as, as spiritual medicine, I think it really helps you to, to not kind of flee or want to flee when you have the, the first hint of panic. Um, and, and that's uh, some other authors uh, that write about anxiety have said that that's a big part of, of dealing with anxiety is not when you get these feelings saying, no, 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 I don't want this. I don't want this. But in some weird sense saying, yes, it's okay. Mm. Um, but I find that that's kind of groundless outside of Christian faith. Right. Um, or it's misdirected. Like you're, you're trying to get past these things so you can be a a better version of you, you know, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like in Christian faith, it makes perfect sense because you're, you're trying to, to deal with these feelings so that they can in some way push you closer to Christ and shape you to his image. Um, so that's the C that's the first part. And, and that's probably the part that I feel like I reference most often because mm-hmm. you, you're always you're always dealing uh, with the feelings. Well, you know, it, it, just as you were talking about that, one of the things that, that occurs to me is, again, is how different this is from uh, the, the the prosperity gospel. And it's and it's mm-hmm. kind of yes. softer versions. You know, you have you have the outrageous prosperity gospel people, but then you do have a lot of softer versions that infect a lot of more mainstream evangelical pulpits mm-hmm. where. Uh, there's kind of this false promise that if you'll believe enough or trust enough, uh, you can rise above these experiences. And of course, you know, again, the life of the apostle Paul puts the lie to that sort of, Mm. of false promise. I would add even the life of Christ. I mean, one (laughs) has to be very careful how you, you parse that, but we are told that when he prays in the garden, the sweat falls from him like big drops of blood. Now, again, one, one's treading on very holy ground there. sure but it's very clear that something real mm-hmm. is happening there to the human nature mm, right the human yeah. nature of christ yeah. i would say is is anxious Absolutely. in many ways at yeah. that point mm-hmm. yeah. and i found that that was a great <clears throat> example a very hard example to implement but christ you know is submissive mm-hmm. um to to the father's will in that moment which, you know, when you deal with anxiety, the, a huge element of it is, is the element of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you want the control so badly um, just to be able to, you know, to feel like you, you have some management ability for this. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big part of it, too, is, is trying to work through many, many experiences to get to the point where you're trying to submit to 
how God might be using this. Right. You know, no matter how much you hate it and how much it's making you feel like you're sick or broken, right. um, you know, God is, is going to use it. And, and to, uh, Pierce, one, one of the things I, I, I appreciated about what, what you have written on this and it's coming out even as we, as we speak to you is um, just in my own experience as I mean, I've been pretty open about this is my kind of lifelong struggle um, anxiety. And I've been in the emergency room because of it. I've, I've moved from hating it to not loving it, <laughs> but, but appreciating how the Lord uses it yeah. um, just yeah. in terms of, of I, I've told fellow pastors that, that, uh, at least a little bit of anxiety would probably serve them well, just in terms of grounding them, keeping them humble, mm-hmm. uh, keeping them. Because if if you're a if you're a decent pastor in a wonderful church, you're going to have people telling you wonderful things about yourself all the time. And I mm. I've come to the the opinion that the Lord has granted me this struggle in part to keep me from becoming a megalomaniacal, you know, e- ego driven. Mm. type of person it, it, it has been the thing most often that the lord has yeah. used to keep me dependent on him uh to yeah. keep me to keep me humble yeah that's a great point and i i had a friend um who recently was was talking on the phone with me and he dealt with anxiety and feels like he's kind of past it now mm-hmm. and he said um kind of casually you know i really can't wait for you to to get past this and i know you'll get there just get past it yeah and i and i said i kind of thought about it and then i sat down and wrote a longer email out and i said i don't want to get past this yeah like i I know that sounds twisted and kind of strange but you know john calvin talked about our hearts being idol factories Mm -hmm. and it's you know such a truth uh, that comes out in all these little things that we latch on to every day i remember kent hughes telling me at, at westminster i I had a cup of coffee and he said, he said, Oh, you're having, you're having your coffee this morning. I said, yeah, well, it's decaf. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, that's good Pierce, because it means that it's not an idol for you. <laughs> and I, and I thought, what a strange response. You know, I just kind of laughed it off and kept going, but he you know, it was a serious thing. And I right. thought we can take the smallest things and become more excited about those things than we are about communing with God. Mm. And it's a very easy thing to happen. So I was thinking of, you know, Calvin's comment about idol factories and I'm responding to this friend. And I said, you know, this anxiety that I have has been the biggest teaching tool that God has used in my life. And I'm scared to not have that. Yes. Like I, I don't know what else will be teaching me so effectively. Um, that's that's really well put. Yeah. That's really well put, you know? And, and he said, you know, afterwards said, okay, I, I, you know, I didn't mean to, you know, to say that you were going to just ditch it and get, and get past it. But I said, you know, it's just, that's just the way it is for me. I think the, I told someone last week, uh, you know, as soon as I get comfortable, as soon as I lack anxiety, that's when um, I feel like spiritual adversaries and, and temptations and idols attack. You know, yeah. when I'm, when I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm vigilant, I'm focused. Um, nothing can, can kind of get in the way of my, mm-hmm. Um, daily time with with the Lord and and um, you know just delving into Scripture, mm-hmm. but when I'm comfortable, um, those things can happen. You know, I can yeah. pass up on things and just feel like, well, it's not a big deal if I if I miss this for today. And well, I feel like you know, one so thing I think that that kind of protection, that that protective element of anxiety, is something mm-hmm. that I really feel like I don't want to lose that because because mm-hmm. God is teaching me so much through it. Yeah, yeah, but you also you're very good in the book showing that. 
God is faithful. You know, whether he's faithful in if you don't have anxiety and, and, and if it is a long-term guest but then leaves one day and you don't suffer with it, or he is faithful through your anxiety and, and you really glorify him and how he has been faithful in your anxiety. And I just want to say to all of our listeners, I highly recommend this book. It is one of the best ones I've read on it. I have loved ones who suffer with anxiety and I really appreciate not only the way that you address the topic, but the way that you, and again, I will say have formatted this book because you also have at the end of each chapter, just a place where the reader has to really do some work. Um, you've got questions, you know, deep soul searching questions, but also practical questions to help them spot some patterns. Um, and mm-hmm. when, you know, when they're experiencing the anxiety, how they're responding to that, like there's homework involved yes. in it, which I think is so practical. And, and then your, your prayers at the end of each chapter, which reminds me, cause you know, have, having read some of your other books, you're just a really good writer. I love your creativity and, um, and I love the way that you write and in the prayers at the end of each chapter, I just loved, loved reading through those and your, your heart towards God in them. Thank you, Amy. That really means a lot to me. Um, I think that the more, the longer I kind of walk in the Christian life, the more I value writing out prayers. And I see mm-hmm. such a, obviously there's such a history of that in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a helpful spiritual practice to draw something from the, the inside to the outside that way. Yeah. yeah. So as much as I hope they, they were helped, they, they continue to help other readers. I feel like they were probably first helpful to me mm-hmm. um, in that element. But um, yeah, you can tell that yeah. when you're reading it. Yeah. So yeah, maybe do you want me to try to work through the rest of the letters of the acronym really? Well, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to, uh, to let our readers do that when they get your book, uh, which is, <laughs> well, com- that's a good, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, which is coming in, Jan- which is coming in January. Uh, yes, by the January way, 15th, it should be, it should be out. we are looking forward to that. And again, folks, our 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 guest has been uh, Pierce Taylor Hibbs, uh, who teaches at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. He's written several really wonderful uh, books. He, he's been a guest with us before, and we are very happy to uh, commend his new book, Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully with Anxiety. It is a wonderful book, as Amy has already said we we commend it and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, getting a few copies ourselves uh, I'm to give uh, it away I'm uh, definitely going to be buying it for people. yep I'm, I've I've already got some folks in mind that uh, I'm going to get uh, some copies for and if you'll come to our website uh, mortificationofspin.org you can register to win a free copy of uh, Pierce's book um, struck down but not destroyed um, we're happy to commend it happy to uh, give away a few copies to um, some fortunate uh, listeners who will go to our website and register to win and while you're there uh, if you think about it and if you're able uh, the alliance of confessing evangelicals is a donor supported ministry and if you appreciate the content that's made available to you uh, through the alliance generally and through mortification of spin specifically we'd love for you to think about making a donation And uh, until next time, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to being with you again on the next Mortification of Spin.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... You might be a federal visionist if you deny that there's any such thing as federal vision. Ooh, that's a good one. So good. You might be a federal visionist if you dress like a Roman Catholic priest but claim to be a Presbyterian. Ooh. That interview is next time. Join us then. Was that okay? Was that total chaos? We were kind of all over the place. <laughs> fine. Yeah. We didn't mention that the Truman family now have a historic plaque in my hometown. Oh. When my brother-in-law married my What's sister, that? he took the Truman name. He didn't like his own name, so he became a Truman. He's Is this a blue hair. He's a grass cutter and odd job man for the local authority, the local council. He designed and built the first environmentally friendly toilet. I won't go into the details of why it's environmentally friendly. It's a bit distasteful. um, he sent me a picture of him sitting on it recently with his he got his pants up it was it was tasteful at that level but in his honor the local council have put up a plaque saying this was the first environmentally friendly public toilet in stroud designed and built by ian truman so the truman family were up there with george washington i always knew carl would be Come famous through toilets. Yeah, there you go. We have <laughs> I a, can't believe I didn't mention that. We're a historic that. family. I totally forgot. <laughs> My brain is not together today.